What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 31. We're joined today by the founder of Cornucopia Management, Daniel Travaglianti. Cornucopia Management provides insight and experience consulting on operation design, cultivation, packaging, standard operating procedures, and much, much more. Daniel has a great background in the space, having cultivated for many years, and he's now sharing that expertise. Find out more at cornucopiamgmt.com and enjoy the show. Daniel, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, yeah, I'm happy to get you on here. I know we we bumped into each other at the bar um, after like day three of Benzinga. It's been a long time in the making here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's funny how those things happen. A guy told me one time, he's like, uh, you may go to one of these conventions and you go and you talk and it's like speed dating, this and that. And it's like the guy that you meet at the bar or shaking hands with when you're getting coffee ends up being one of the best connections that you end up meeting in your whole career. And, uh, hopefully this works forward from there. Right. You got to kind of take those conferences with the grain of salt often and just be like open, right, to the opportunity. I think um, I'm probably not extroverted enough for some conferences. It's always like hard for me to keep turning and like introducing myself to someone else. But I think I'm I'm getting better with some cannabis practice. <laughs> yeah. Well, the bar helps too. That's where we met. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it, helps to, it helps to have a common mission, right? We had a goal to get through that line. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Other than that, it's like I said, I feel like I'm speed dating. It's a tough thing for me to do too. It's a new, yeah, new it's concept hard. for me. Right. And it's, or it's hard to be like, and I'm not actually interested in, in that. Like, yeah. goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> or right. sometimes you open the conversation and, and nothing against soil and cocoa core folks. But when I find the consultant who's, who's like reselling cocoa core from out of the country, it's kind of like, all right, my, our potential connections are few here, man. It's good yeah. to meet you, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, to, good to actually see you and meet you too, as well. Other than or, uh, April. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. Um, and since then, it sounds like you've been uh, uh, recovering a little bit, but still staying in the in the cannabis space, man. You're back on your feet and and rocking here these last few weeks. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I went through a little bit of a medical issue. I had to have a couple of discs removed from my neck. Uh, we did a full fusion from C5 through 7. So I'm six weeks okay. out. Uh, yeah. I feel amazing, though. I, if I like, if I could say anything, the second I woke up from surgery, I had relief of tingle, tingling and numbness and uh, just So almost immediate difference there. Oh, immediately. Yeah, immediately. I, I, I can sleep again. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I've got some family that uh, is kind of waiting, you know, for a, a similar surgery that I think is affecting some kind of like lower body stuff in their feet. And like that nerve, like the nerve injuries and the spinal cord stuff is so, so crazy how much it connects to everything. Yeah. Well, like the nerve damage was causing the numbness. Uh, the problem is, is if you let it go too long, you lose it. 
it'll kill your nerve off. So if you're getting that numbness and tingling, you should address it because if you let it go a year, two years, uh, they say you may never ever get it back. That nerval atrophy, huh? Yep, yep. Yeah, so, uh, crazy, crazy. 46. I'm 46 years old. I'm glad I took care of it. <laughs> yep, yep. And it's still ticking along, man. And and with over 25 years of those 46 in in cannabis cultivation around the plant, um, how, did, how did your journey with cannabis really get started? Um, if we try to rewind the clock here before cornucopia. I would say it takes me right back to uh, when I was uh, 19 or 20. Uh, my younger brother is a year younger than me. Uh, back when he was four, he had a stroke and he is paralyzed on his right side. And his hand stays curled up all the time along with his feet or foot, I should say, on that right side. And uh, oh, we man. grew up okay. in a dare, was drugs are bad, and that late 80s that yes, you, know, sir. Uh, you take Don't it to heart. Him. Yeah, I don't want to end up beating my wife with a frying pan or robbing banks or something. So, Or your brain is just a frying pan <laughs> with a cooking egg. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I, I never did anything, honest to God. I never smoked a cigarette, never drank alcohol. I was straight edge through high school. And okay, yeah. when I was uh, 18, I started construction and saw people who did smoke and always wondered, like, wow, they seem to be successful. And then when Kinda I was 20, challenged some assumptions a little it bit. Did. There. It did. Yeah. It absolutely did. And then when I was 20, Jimmy came to my house and he was high and I was so mad at him. I remember being like, <laughs> what are you doing to yourself? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And he was like, watch this. And he took his hand and he opened it up and he laid it palm down flat on the table. Wow. First time I'd ever seen that in my yeah. life that I could remember. And, uh, I realized it was medicine. Uh, within probably a month, I was like, hey, let me hit that. Let me see what that's about. Uh, and so he really got some serious physical relief just from consuming or from from uh, f- from treating himself. Huh? He kind of found it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the muscles would relax for him. Um, yeah. He could, you know, and I, like I said, it was just something I had never seen. He was amazed that he could do it. Uh, I immediately, I bet you, you know, I was always scared of the law as well. We're talking, this is, uh, 1996 yeah. or seven. Um, there wasn't a lot of grow stores around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't go to grow stores. I mixed my own soils. I bought seeds. Matter of fact, my first seeds, I smuggled them back from Vancouver, Canada, uh, wow. down my pants on the airplane. Oh man. Um, they came into the country with uh with respect and self-esteem. They did. And I uh and I didn't want to have to do that again, so I immediately started breeding more and I had always had a bucket load of seeds and was it more and, of a um was it more of a desire to just keep things concise and in-house that led you to breeding or was there an, an interest in breeding and kind of finding different cultivars? I actually uh, read my first high time shortly after that, and I realized the differences between the different varieties and strains and how it could be used. It's like, oh, wow, I'm going to do this for Jimmy. I'm yeah, gonna it's Jimmy just something. so much deeper. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, and then, uh, then in 2009, I was 32 years old. My dad got melanoma, hmm. and I took some time off. There was a tv program of a fellow about my age saying this is all he had ever done in his life and i was like why can't that be me so it was a, a, a different grower or cultivator yeah it was a cnn program and a dude was from california uh, where it was like they passed in 95 or 6 when he was like 17 and so he it's kind of showing it 
Yeah. yeah. He's like, wow, this is all I've ever known since I was 17. He was a cannabis grower. And I was like, well, I've been growing 10 years at that time for myself. Like, right. I can do this. So I did. Kind of um, open up the open up the, the vision, the plan there from just personal growing or kind of growing for family and friends to actually um, lean into, into the industry, huh? Yeah, yeah. I immediately, uh, I started seeking it out and realized it was only a state away. Uh, did the math on the plant numbers and the patient numbers and said, I think I can do this. And I came up here and I met people at caregiver, patient caregiver meetings that would be held at like a library. And a guy would ask, who's here as a patient? Someone would raise their hand and he'd say, who's here as a caregiver? They would raise their hand and they say, go ahead, meet. Let the speed dating begin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes people had questions like, hey, how do I uh, get rid of thrips? And I would say something like, well, thrips live in the soil. You should use beneficial nematodes because it's organic and they eat the thrips from the inside out and you'll never blah, 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 you know. And once you answer enough questions... People. Old Dr. Green Thumb over here. Yep. They yeah. find you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And I sold my house, quit my job, and moved to Michigan. Awesome, man. Yeah. And um, for a little while, I was actually considering a move to Michigan um, for the home plant counts and the industry there as well. The software side of the cannabis industry had me here in Las Vegas. Um, this is where 365 Cannabis was originally located. We had an office here. And before COVID, believe it or not, they were making people move for work in software. Hmm. And then about a year later, right, everyone in the world learned about remote work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, like uh, a new thing. Yeah. But I've, I've been down here in Vegas since then. And we do have some grow laws, but not as good as, the, um, as Michigan and some of the other states that came on a little more recently. In Nevada, you have to have your medical card. And you have to be cultivating a strain or a cultivar that's not found within 25 miles of you. So you, oh. you've got to be kind of selective in what you're growing. But when it comes to, you know, custom pheno hunting and breeding, it's easy to diverge from something that maybe you can find 25 miles. Um, so a lot of people are, you know, growing like variants of strains or like just small like phenos of maybe something more common. That's cool. That's cool. I can see that happening. Michigan was a was a really weird market at first. You know, it was kind of like the Wild West where they didn't have anything commercial. So us caregivers uh, were the ones that fed the market initially. Uh, then they brought in, you know, we voted for it. It passed. And now they have enough stores, enough cultivators, enough everybody that they said, oh, you shouldn't have the ability to sell anymore. Uh, we've established oh, it for so they you. actually rolled it back, huh? They took it back. So it went from mm -hmm. me being able to, like, I was allowed to grow 12 plants per patient. And on a four-month rotation, that was three plants each month through very, you know, each stage of life. Right. So um, I would harvest three plants per patient for each patient each month. And if they only wanted an ounce or two, I had their permission that I could sell it, you know, at the dispensaries or wherever. Because uh, okay. I had costs involved. Um, and then once they took that, it's like, you're only allowed to deal with your patients, which is great. But at the end of the day, five patients is very tough to make a living from, especially when you have patients that are on like disability and stuff. We had a, a patient who mm. was gay bashed and beaten the head with a brick and he was on disability making a thousand dollars a month. Oh, How do you even charge these cool. people? You, yeah, man, you can't, right. you know, we're helping patients here. I was breathing so one of your five. Ailments. Yeah. Like. And then one, two, or even all of your five patients are coming from situations like that. That's not the time to 
to yeah. turn a profit. Yeah, we don't bring <laughs> gouge those people. Yeah, it's very difficult know. to do that when you just want to help or, you know, allow someone to to cut some pain or, you know, feel a little happier about the situation. I think that's that's difficult to see. I didn't know that it had rolled back from that. Um, so at this point, then you can still caretake, but only those patients can can Correct. buy from you. Correct. So then recuperating your own costs in that process gets to be uh, kind of a very, very much a mouse thing. on a wheel. You are just treading water. We went from being a business and being self-employed and, and trying to do something good, you know, uh, for everybody to now I feel bad. Like it's like, you have so many more choices at the dispensary. They're roughly around the same prices and everything involved that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I'm almost doing a disservice to you, you know, it's, and it's not helping me at all anymore, you know, cause I'm at a stage yeah. of life where I have to keep moving forward. I, I want to be something too someday. Um, do you so, think that the caregiving, um, kind of model is going to phase out then because of the changes that it's just not, it's not really possible at, at a small scale anymore. And that's maybe the intent or it's kind of what they wanted to happen. Yes. Yes, I do. And along with the recreational, anybody that's adult, uh, is allowed to grow 12 plants. So you can have some, your neighbor can have some, the medical mark, you know, there's not even, I don't even have a medical card anymore because I'm a, a grown man that already has, a, I can have 12 plants no matter what. Right. So it's not worth it for me to pay the money. It's not, you know, it's, it's not feasible, but um, I will tell you there's a large discrepancy in the quality of medicine in terms, I'll call it all medicine. Uh, but in terms of cleanliness, recreational is like, I, I think it's like 10,000, whatever it is, CFUs, whatever the units are. Yeah, uh, yep. of cleanliness and with recreational, it's a hundred thousand, you know? Wow. So, so I don't really, you know, I think it all should be at 10,000. I really, you know, in terms of cleanliness, I think that should be first and foremost. Yeah. And Michigan was having some, uh, some shenanigans with their lab testing. I think there was some dispensaries reporting like 40% THC on some flour where, yeah, think it, about it would that. Be like, it would be like dusty, like pieces of salt falling off of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you could see if a, if a trichome is attached or not. Um, but, I mean, think about that, Matt. If you understand the way I understand the testing is it's a one-gram sample, and if 40% of that was cannabinoids, then 400 milligrams would be, yeah. would, would be the 40%. Think about that. So you have a bud that's a one-gram bud that you shove into your bowl or whatever, and 40% of that's going to burn up at 200 or 180 degrees, whatever the math is at that, you know, as soon as you Bowling touch it with there. a lighter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe it. I don't, I had a test result at 31.3% uh, one time and I still had to question myself. Put it on the whether, wall. Yeah. I was very proud of it and it really did me well, it. you know? Um, but yeah, it was funny. That happened to be the very first test that I used that company for. Uh, uh, I did come yeah. back for more subsequently and always stayed in the 25 to 28% range after that. Interesting. So yeah. I don't know if I you know, met that matter of a plus or negative of a, a window there or whatever, but that that's always seemed to be the very first test result turned out that way. Right. Because in the tests, there's like the, um, I might mess this up. It's like the COQ. The COA, Certificate the, of Authenticity. And then there's like the level of, or it's, it's like there's a cert, there's a threshold of the amount that they can't have more of, and then there's like so much more above that. And it's, I want to say it was something else. Like it was part of the COA though, but yeah, it was maybe. a way to it was a way to measure like aspergillus and measure um, essentially the microbiologicals and things that are returned in in lab results. 
Right. Yeah, I really, I try to preach cleanliness over everything. It, it sucks that we have an industry that preaches so much THC numbers. People don't understand the uh, the way that the terpenes and flavonoids impart you know, the medicines that, uh, you know, when you have something that's testing at three or 4% terpenes that, you know, that flavor sticks with you all the way to the end, aside from the benefits from it versus something that just tests high and tastes like crap. Yeah. Yeah. And um, cl- as far as cleanliness goes, man, I tell people about cultivating. It was like combining like a a full like building kind of janitorial position along with some elements of construction and and then horticulture all smashed into like a room <laughs> or into yeah. a narrow hallway, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you're, I, you're I like partially that. playing electrician. You're playing scientist. Uh, you're get digging into everything, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you really need to. Uh, if you're a, a new new person starting from scratch, you if you put in the planning now, it will save you so much later. You know, put in the you get in the the right HVAC with the right the right units. You know, get in the right uh, everything involved. Have it all planned out that you know uh, you're setting yourself up for success because. You skimp on one little thing and you just think of the damage that it can cause later, you know, to lose a third or a half of a harvest due to something stupid because you don't want to pay people to wipe your surfaces down yeah. or just buy a machine that's, you know, nebulizes uh, hydrogen peroxide or something like that that right. save on costs. Yeah, man. And one of the things like, I mean, the cleaning that I had to do was, you know, your typical things, but the, the two cleaning acts I hated the most... I think one is maybe solved in cultivation nowadays, and that's cleaning the lenses on the HPS lights. So we had to take down the like glass lenses off the lights, flip them over on some sawhorses, and like you know clean them all out, the top mm-hmm. and the bottoms, basically from getting smudged and hit hit in flower, and just yeah. trying to maximize the amount of lumens we were giving the canopy. We were right. working on a pretty slim budget at this first grow, so the the owner at that time was like just cracking the whip on cleaning those lenses all the time. And man, if you so much as bent that plate glass, like the wrong direction, it would just like explode in glass shards. <laughs> I was, used to uh, take mine disaster. down. I used to take mine down and I would set it like on the edge of my tennis shoe by my toe. And yeah. so I could wipe Windex and clean it down. You know, I'd have it down onto the ground cause I would clean every month uh, and then have like a, like a, three to four day window where I wouldn't put anything back into the flower room. I kind of, you know, I have that clean up, have them a couple of days to sanitize. And uh, yeah, I've, I, more than once I, it slipped off my toe and the corner hits just right and it just shatters. It's a whole nother, it's a whole nother cleaning problem. I mean, it doesn't break into like five pieces of glass. It's like 5,000 little shards of glass. Just like absolutely tempered glass. You know, I'll tell you, I'm a, I have in the last uh, year and a half or better through talking with people, I have never used them myself, but I have, quickly become a fan of the led lights these days it's taken the it's taken the grow world oh, fully. Man. there's not a reason really to not um to let it be i think when i first started there was concern about leds not being powerful enough or maybe not hitting the full spectrum or not varying enough but now these companies are just on the ball with it man there's some excellent options oh i'm working with i represent a company they you know we work with a uh, a light recipe no different than a soil recipe. If you're trying to coax out certain cannabinoids or certain parts yeah. of that plant grown a certain way, you you do that light recipe now. 
And uh, aside from uh, the five-year warranties, the lenses on them that you don't need to be right up on the plants anymore, you can. Right. They got lenses where you can be a little farther away that will dial in that light. Uh, I've seen TSR Grow has like a pretty cool solution that will like emulate weather over your canopy, even like you know cloud change and sunrise, and just it's quite a a different game there. Yeah, absolutely, and and and. Like I said about the efficiency, you know, in terms of you're not blasting your little clones with just too, too much light. Even your flowering plants, you know, to have have two, have it right up down them, you know, that, that heat combined with, with that light spectrum from six or eight inches away from a high-pressure sodium light pretty, is far different. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but I do like uh, indoor. I, I've grown one outdoor plant in my whole life. Crazy okay. Enough. Yeah, How did that one year. plant turn out for you? It's so funny. Yeah, you know, when you grow indoors, you are Mother Nature. It's seventy and sunny every yeah, day of the right. week. You know, if you, you want water, everything. you create water. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I had this outdoor plant. I ended up harvesting it last year, and uh, at the same time, I was uh, redoing the interior of this small boat that that was given to me. So I just hung it in my bar in my barn, and all winter long, this thing just hung there. And I would just walk over to this plant, just rip off a nug, shove it in my bowl, <laughs> you know, and it was my own personal supply out in the barn all just winter long. Just let it long. sit there and slow dry. Yeah. And then at the end of, you know, spring started and I threw it in a bonfire because it's, you know, I kind of passed its prime. Yeah. Wait, wait, you know, hanging in the air like that for a full winter. It was less than premier. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. But it yeah, there's so much that can, uh, um, when you're when you're growing like that and you have the excess, it's nice to be able to just uh, grab a bud, try some smoke at different phases, you know, pull some off the dry rack or before cure. You could start to see some of the differences there too. But you also find that sweet spot, maybe like two months of curing, that uh, it's just perfect, right? Right before yeah. kind of things start going to the more sedative stage, your cannabinoids are almost maxed out. I think that the industry right now has to sell flour well before that unfortunately really is that what you believe like i feel like um everywhere i i hear i just read an article even today it was talking about oklahoma and it was saying that uh now i, I probably maybe a bad example here but oklahoma had 65 64 times more cannabis than what can be consumed it was an article about how it like is feeding the black market and stuff wow and yeah. and i'm there's a lot of you know product up here in Michigan as well. You know we're in a hugely flooded market. We're right on the verge of croptober. Had the um, same kind of issues going on in Michigan. Yeah, and I feel like man, there's a lot that probably sits around for those couple of months, you know, or better. And can cure out. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah, it. But can folks give them the attention it needs to keep that humidity right and give it that slow cure, or are they yeah. just dealing with weight that's going to get moldy? Uh, in Oklahoma, it was. I wish these laws were how it was in Missouri, where I just sent the license application. Because if you had $3,000 and you were partnered with a resident in Oklahoma, welcome to the cannabis industry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's you your know. license. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great, but also we saw the side effects, which were just a massive overpopulation of licenses. And I think a lot of businesses are trying to ride that out right now you know you got to find your you got to find your quality your differentiator and then start competing with your you know all the folks down the street all the people in your town that are doing the same thing yeah absolutely yeah it's it's funny how uh in those situations where the people uh, even where it's not even a lottery where they actually apply it's either a they have a lot of money 
and they can afford to make a few mistakes and tread water throughout it, or B, they have a tremendous amount of experience to where they're not going to make the mistakes and their good product is going to help them tread water and keep throughout that. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, and uh, to, to go back, so the, uh, the analytical chemistry folks don't give me a hard time here. Uh, when I was talking about LOQ, I just did a quick look here. It was the limit of quantization or the limit of detection, LOD. And that's basically like how much aspergillus does there have to be for like modern technology to detect it or for a gas chem- uh, chromatography to find it, um, that kind of thing. So that is different on like every microbiological or every um, every bacteria or, th- or element that's being searched for. And that's kind of what the test results are measured against as well. Um, there's like this small amount of the product that actually can't be measured anyways, just because we don't have the, the tech to do it. Or maybe those lab tests are more expensive. Wow, that's, that's good information. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, the the lab testing side of stuff has been awesome, man. Seeing as uh, it's really helping consumers, at least those that are interested in diving deeper, you know, you can look into it and see. Sometimes not only do you have three percent terpenes, but you know, caryophyllenes the dominant, or linalool is the secondary, and you're, you know, you can start to find the uh, the effects of those terpenes a little bit more and not rely on the THC or the branding and things like that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think, you know, educating the consumer is, is where this industry really uh, needs to start catching up to how the growing and how the testing has gone. Like you know, ever since the farm bill, we've really come leaps and bounds in discovering uh, various cannabinoids, synthetic, all the above, you know, the Delta eights, the Delta tens and, and everything else. Yeah, um, right. We're just learning science so fast right now, you know, and I don't even know if we're capable of quantifying the effects. If somebody can actually say that, yeah, I had a lot of pinene and it really helped my knees or. Yeah, it's very difficult to do that. In react, it's more like, OK, if you have a lot of pinene, like you might ex- you're probably going to experience these flavors and your your the effects of the high may have these characteristics, but it's pretty difficult to draw like a solid correlation the way medicine would want uh, or pharmaceutical medicine would want to see it's all the it's all in the entourage effect and those kind of those like 400 plus uh, compounds all coming together yeah i kind of i envision uh the next level of the future of cannabis uh being so much as the wine industry of these days or where, you know, these gangiers are, are really bringing out the nuances and understanding yeah. uh, just what these, uh, the little, you know, I, I've always said, like when I've talked to my patients, what I do is like, we're all provided the genetics aside from breeders or whatever, but everybody's given the genetics. It's almost like people in the Olympics who can run the hundred yard dash. Everybody does it in 10 seconds or whatever. It's those people who pay attention or those little micro things that put them ahead that thousands of a second, you know, those are the ones that that little bit of dedication. That's right. You know, because we're all blessed with the genetics. You know, you can go out there and you can order a a diesel or any one of these uh, legacy strains, you know, that aren't got to be able to drive it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, you you know, um, one of the growers that I knew. Uh, used to have a competition. He's out of Oklahoma, uh, where he would have the same genetics. He would give the same clone to 
21 different people for a competition and you would be an aquaponics guy or you would be hydro or you'd be your own soil. That's awesome. Yeah. And then they had the competition and they would test it all. And some tested at 12%, some tested at 24 some was with this terpenes. And uh, everybody, you know, doing their own thing was mm-hmm. making it out of the same exact genetics. It just shows like the, the, possible, the possibilities there. It's just such a wide range of, of phenos that can come out of that. And to hone out what you want or try to call out one specific one is just takes consistency, environmental control, and then... You know, yeah, like you said, maybe aquaponics is the only way to nurse out like a certain yep. uh, element or to, you know, a certain characteristic of the plant. And I like the fact that you just said consistency. You know, when I've always talked to people, it's like, I'll, I'll give you the average of a eight week lifespan in the flowering range. Okay. So look at that as that was your life. Break your life as if you lived 80. You mess up one week. It's like taking 10 years off of your life. Yeah, you, man, you missed your 20s. You're, you did. You, you, you very <laughs> well did. You know, so if something happened, you know, where there was an accident, you didn't have some level of redundancy throughout your process. Maybe a, a filter got clogged. Maybe a, a heat pump happened and all of a sudden you boiled everything in your hydroponic setup. I don't know what. The, oh, brutal. <laughs> yeah. Good, good night. You don't make mistakes, you know, and that's not even a week's mistake there. But yeah, one week, one week of a yeah. mess up of nutrients or, or could really cost you, you know. Right. Yeah, it's, it's so important there. And before we dig into the uh, the cultivation side and some of those those nutrient conversations, I was going to ask you that this question that's been a recurring theme on the show so far. And that's um, when it comes to cannabis education, who or what do you think is responsible for providing that education to the consumer? You know, would you see that weight on the businesses or is that actually part of the it needs to be part of the consumer's like goals and initiatives as well? Um, wow, that's a great question. I, I do think, you know, people in medicine or looking for medicine are a lot more keen to try to gain that education. Uh, they're coming at it already with a the therapeutic kind of yeah, they're mindset. Trying to, yeah, they're trying to alleviate an ailment, you know. But people on the recreational, I find that, I believe that price rules the world. Um, Just trying to grab... Grab a yeah. bag and uh, yeah, grab a bag. Hang out head, tonight. Head on down the road. You know, may I get some cheap carts or whatever the case may be? Uh, where yeah. none of these things come into play. You want to talk distillates, and we're not even talking flavor. That's already imparted. We're not even. Talking yeah, about, everybody knows it's not even the same buzz as a piece of flour. That's the um, most like commoditized way to consume cannabis. I think it's like purely a commodity at that point. Almost the way yeah. like uh, like a electricity or like something else is. Like yeah, you get you just got cannabis. Yeah, but I think else. I think the vertically <laughs> the vertically integrated people who are able to control the process all the way through are able to fit that education into their budgets and their websites, even if it's nothing more than linking a, a particular podcast or linking just a particular tying article. things together. Yeah, just you yeah. know, come come learn about our strain, come learn about what we're trying to do. If they're breeding for a specific ailment or a you know, hey, this is uh, the next sativa that's great for listening to music at concerts. Well, it could simply be that. Right. So it's it kind of gives them the opportunity to um, to build that community up around their their business, too, because that full vertical nature lets them control everything, obviously. But it's it's easy to forget, like how much of that control falls outside of cultivators hands in the industry now if they yeah. have to sell to a different distributor who then. Um, maybe uses half the product as flour and then sells even 
the other half on to be extracted. Like it's just so far out of the cultivator's hands at some times that um, the supply chain itself can kind of wreck your product just with bad storage or, you know, bad timing, yep. all of that. Yeah, and I think it's it's really overwhelming for a lot of people sometimes to go to a dispensary. Um, I saw a brilliant, I read an article, I should say, about a brilliant guy. I can't even tell you where I read it from years ago, but he owned a dispensary and he had two different color uh, baskets, blue and red. Blue, you walked in, grabbed a blue one, it meant that you knew what you were talking about. You could shop around, ah, do whatever. Like, kind of place one, yourself. Yep, and the red <laughs> one was like, I could use a little bit of help, you know. Uh, I went in to buy a cart just a couple weeks ago. I don't really do them, but I was uh, traveling and stuff. It was just much more convenient. And there uh, is something to be said use. about traveling, man. I will, yeah. I will give you that one. When you're traveling yeah. and you just need something quick and you don't have a piece or even don't have the time to, to find the lighter, you can't argue with a cart. Or right. <laughs> maybe an edible fits in that situation too, but for that kind of instant gratification, man, they're, they're great for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I prefer, obviously, the other. I was uh, in a setting where I didn't have that ability. I, w- you know, I wasn't flying or anything, but I was certainly in a setting where I didn't have ability to uh, stay calm. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, or, or go back to the common ritual. Yeah. Um, also, too, with my smoking, uh, uh, my surgery, I was not allowed to smoke. Um, okay. He, he told me afterwards, uh, and I trust my surgeon more than anything. He was a wonderful guy, very, very educated uh, smoking uh, carries carbon monoxide, which is no good for blood flow in your oxygen. You know, no no I oxygen see. in your blood, I should say. Uh, he told me I can vape. I can eat metabols. He was not against okay. the cannabis whatsoever, just against the smoking of the cannabis. Actual while the combustion. Yep. I see. So nice. So I was have doing you found it kind of well. a... Uh, oh, so even before that, you switched over to vapes a little Yeah, bit. just prior to, you know, so that I went in there quote-unquote clean i didn't have any you know carbon monoxide in my blood let yeah. my bones have the best opportunity to heal uh and i just awesome. <laughs> just went back to flower about a day or two ago because uh, <laughs> yeah. i'm at six weeks now my bones should be pretty healed it's about were you missing flower oh yeah oh yeah especially because i have it here and i'm looking at it all the time and i can open a jar and be True. like oh it's beautiful i want some okay um, high quality flower i miss and yeah. still feel that longing for but uh, kind of like that mid-shelf level of flower here in Vegas that I can find often is just really not worth it uh, for the most part. I've been on a concentrate uh, kick for maybe two years now where flower is more of a treat. If I can find a really high terpene flower or like something that I haven't tried before, if I'm trying to treat myself from the top shelf, I'll take that. But uh, it hasn't been my like daily driver um, at this point. And I, I tried to take a bong rip the other day. Uh, a few episodes back, I mentioned it. Dude, I think uh, my lungs like are, are different, man, because I used to kill the bong. <laughs> and I was coughing so hard, like holding on to the sink, you know, like, oh, man. Oh, yeah, you got a good drool on and everything, huh? Dude, it was just like, uh, I'm glad I, there was no one else here. <laughs> yeah, you had said you're a hash man. You said you like to make the water hash. Yeah, definitely. That's like kind of where I got started and... Um, my first role in the cannabis industry, I had come from just basically five gallon bucket grows in a closet in my like college place of living. And my first role was uh, water hash and bubble hash using like um, those different micron of bags, you know, just working uh-huh, bubble down, bags. Yeah, yeah. yeah, working down to your fine beach sand. And uh, man, I actually had never done that before, before I had, and then I had the job to make it and I still, I still have to give, 
give a lot of credit to the owner of that place to just let me go in there um, with passion and interest and figure out how to do it because we had a few batches that were pretty rough on uh, on cost as far as what went in and what came out. But we eventually had a pretty nice product um, kind of going through the sieves. Really? Yeah. How did you like uh, holding up your 25 bag for about an hour to let it drain when you were making oh, it by yourself at home? <laughs> yeah, right. You're just like just hanging it, trying to let it spin, switching arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to get some centrifugal force. Yeah, we. Yeah. my favorite's the 73. <laughs> That's my favorite. I'll have 73 and the 120. But yeah, we used to make... Uh, my wife and I would make hash in a 32-gallon. Our ba- bubble bags were 32-gallon bubble bags. Oh wow! Um, yeah. And oh man, yeah. We would start with huge uh, barrels. You know, four four Walmart bags of, of fresh frozen trim. You know, where it was fresh off the plant, we'd freeze it right away, uh, so that none of your That's leaf the way was to do dried. It. Yeah, we yeah. didn't want to beat up the leaves. I used to only do one run. I never. I know I could have done two runs, but I wasn't about quantity. I was about just quality. working on that perfection. If you yeah. do a second run, we would do additional runs, but we would keep them separate, really, so that you could we could still sell yeah. the, like that first run is that, right. that top shelf product. Yeah. Oh, and it, like you said, and it looks like that beautiful grains of sand after it's all dried out and chopped it's up. It's pretty a great seeing that through. Yeah. For for those out there who may be dabbling in home cultivation or you know starting to take those steps in providing for yourself, like bubble hash is really the next one. The next thing to accomplish after you've gotten through your dry and cure. Yeah, yeah, you really got to utilize all of your product. You know, I I, uh, talk to some home growers every now and then and they're like, oh, well, you think I ought to trim the bottom third of my plant and try to put all that energy up to the top like you guys do? And it's like, nope, I don't at all. I don't. Uh, I think let that plant grow. You want as much of them popcorn nuggets and I mean unless you're selling it and you're trying to be Johnny we're putting it out there the best biggest buds ever and right, I didn't like to... big buds I grow golf balls not footballs uh screw that mold yeah a, yeah I was gonna say at a certain point you're just you're yeah. asking for it aren't you <laughs> right right you know and it's a lot of the outdoor growers that I hear say that we got these huge buds you know and my answer is is like here in Michigan you get that dew on the buds every morning in this temp, you know this time of year and, and a lot of times it doesn't evaporate faster than the plant can grow at when it's just putting it out there at, you know, four to six weeks of flowering. And inevitably you trap that moisture in there. I really, you know, you hear these Oregon growers also too, where they, like I said earlier, you, know, you plan on losing 20% to mold. Or, yeah, there's plan on it because it's just, it grows so fast and the moisture is there, you know, and we've got such a fast season here in Michigan. Yeah, right. And in, in Michigan, you have one kind of one season naturally outdoors before yeah. everything's inside. Yeah, yeah. And I, I almost, you know, I, I can't wait to see the shift in everything once we go federally legal and stuff because I really think that, you know, states like Arizona, obviously the Sunshine State of California, all these like outdoor, like they get sun all the time. Arizona's probably a bad example. It's probably pretty tough to handle the heat and and monitor that you know um but you, you see what i'm getting at these longer day the, the much you know, using the sun more efficiently yeah uh, they they get that uh that benefit <laughs> yeah I, I can really see that you know and then i can also see uh maybe a shift where the outdoor stuff stays going towards these uh concentrates and those types of things because i just find it hard to, you know i make it chomped on by the outdoor guys out there you know we provide clean product i know you do but it's just too hard. Mother Nature doesn't like anybody. You can't control the guy's pollen next to you. You can't control bugs. 
I love the yeah, I love the organic guys that are difficult. like, hey man, I got ladybugs. My ladybugs are taking care of this. And my next question is then is like, all la- all ladybugs poop. Do you, do you really yeah. want? I mean, I I'm not <laughs> put that much any better to you. I know, a big old grasshopper turd or something on your stuff. I'm really not a too huge fan of any of that. You know. Yeah, outdoors is really hard to justify that or or to prove that. I think that the the quality or the safety. It's like I think that you want outdoor cannabis to work so much because it's like that's the natural thing it feels like that's where like that's where the plant belongs right under the sun getting that uv light the wind and the environment and i mean for certain areas in the world like the outdoor flower grown there is is phenomenal but in in others you know like oklahoma for example they got hit with like a grasshopper plague like a dust storm a bunch of other stuff it's that's not great for outdoor cannabis it doesn't matter how how like dedicated you are as a grower or the the kind of knowledge you're bringing to your grow just those environment those environmental variables are hard to balance um, right when an indoor guy gets to as you said kind of play god and really control like the lay of the land I, that being said man on the outdoor flower side um i found like a higher terpene content kind of like a waxier kind of feel to the flower i think i actually prefer outdoor but it's hard to find good outdoor um and, and it's it's kind of hard to find good indoor too depending on which markets you're in <laughs> but uh, yeah i think that eventually i'd um i'd want to lean towards outdoor markets more or find those farms that you could trust but i think to get that trust um lab testing is going to have to start getting uh, even more expansive or more intrusive yeah. Do you think, and the people that you've talked to and you've met throughout the industry and all of your time, do you think we're going to come a day where the customers are actually, you know, we're going to demand you know, like the better cannabis? Like we're, we don't want the mass produced. Yeah, crap, dude, you know? I don't understand why it's taken so long for that anyways, because I mean, in the old days, if someone sold you crap on the streets and then other people knew that guy, it was kind of like, hey, man, don't. You don't, you don't understand what Travis sold me. It was <laughs> it was brutal. He gave his full price for this stuff from, you know, five states away. Uh, that guy gets cut out of the circle, right? You don't buy, like, crap or, like, I don't know. There was kind of a more of a community approach towards quality. But maybe it wasn't like that everywhere. It kind of depends on your, on your buddies or on your circle there. But yeah. I think that it, there's definitely not a pushback right now. It's kind of... Um, from a recreational standpoint, people just want it and they got, they have a good time with it. They can hang, you know, hang out, relax at the end of the day. There's like all this passion and this, um, kind of nerding out about cannabis kind of, um, it goes, it is not necessarily over their head. It's just, they're not interested. It, yeah. It's yeah, just I like, find they don't care. It's, yeah. It's, of course, <laughs> back, back to my patience about getting it tested. I really, I think price at the end of the day rules the world. If it works, if I got sleepy and I was able to sleep that night, it works. Um, I yeah, think that's all that, you know, if it works, that's all I care. But right. Um, and that's like where you could watch a Marvel movie, you know, and kind of enjoy it without knowing anything about the characters. But then then I try to tell you all about the X-Men in like issue number 26 and Jerry Dugan's recent comic book. And it's just like, OK, like that's all great. But like you only care about that if you're into the niche or into that, yeah. that part of the community. And um, convincing more people to take that jump is sort of a... Uh, the million dollar question, right? Like how do you uh, connect to consumers that way and show them, you know, what's possible. I think cultivating in the house is a really good way to start that. 
because you kind of see the magic of the plant or get involved in it in your home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and doing things for yourself is it's no different than uh, you're growing your own tomatoes and making your own sauce or any of those things, you know, that people, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of um, the knowledge that maybe you have to read about or it has to be handed down. But at the end of the day, the, the gratification that you get inside by providing for yourself and knowing that you can provide for yourself. You don't have to rely upon anybody uh, has to supersede all of that, especially when it comes to medicine. Yeah, that's a really good point, man. Yeah, it's um, that that satisfaction of, of smoking your own plant that you watch all the way from that little seedling. You know, it's um, there's not really anything beating that. That's like sitting down to the lasagna that you, you know, you made the, the red sauce for. <laughs> yeah, you talk seeds. It's funny. I, I always talk seeds as one of my... Uh, just things that I have always been so excited about. You know, I've always been just fascinated that a tomato has a thousand seeds inside of it. And each one of those seeds can produce a plant that produces another 40 pounds of food. And and you do the math on that. All with that, seeds. Yep. And, <laughs> and whether it be a cannabis plant that can, you know, you get a thousand seeds on there and you can provide medicine for an entire village or, you know, but seeds are just... They've all, you know, they, the way they live from a, an animal that can eat them and, and be shed out, you know, 3,000 miles away and still grow. It, yeah. I've always loved seeds, man. Not in my medicine, but I've always loved seeds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. And, and seeds are definitely kind of like early man's approach towards cannabis or some of the draw there like was in the seed itself and eating them and like uh, actually being a seeding plant. So it's kind of yeah. interesting in some of that, too. Yeah, and it's so, weird because now I'm against it. I'm like all about clones. I want you to do the feed. You know, you shouldn't start that. out with seeds and yeah, get your genetics. <laughs> get, yep, get yep. The, yeah, don't ruin get your brain solid. with something that's just trying for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so on the cornucopia management side, um, you're offering consulting for cultivation, really from beginning to end, or any anywhere no. along that process, huh? Anywhere in between. You know, I'll, I'll use cultivation as an example. Um, I've got relationships with staffing companies, uh, multiple lighting companies, design companies, security companies, um, anything, you know, equipment, um, anything you can think of cultivation wise, tissue culture labs or tissue culture clones on, on a, you know, a, how, to, how to teach you how to do your own. Um, then you get to like the dispensary people. I can help dispensaries with applications and security and design. I have a design team that I, I work with. Uh, I oh, can help nice. them with payment plans and, and uh, loyalty programs. Uh, all kinds of vape companies, pre-roll companies. I can help with uh, pre-roll machines, gummy machines, trimming machines, packaging, labeling. Uh, I've got relationships, uh, people with living walls, vertical grows. Uh, might be a patented CO2 delivery system, even in an outdoor environment. Um, you know, nice. uh, so really be, uh, helping to helping to kind of unite some of this sure. knowledge that's out there, but make yeah. bringing it down to the clients or down to folks who are maybe getting started and don't have that, um, or, that or network maybe they're or the even time. already established. Yep, they, yeah, they, they utilize my network saves them time. They may come with a problem, like we talked about the lights. They might want to do a lighting upgrade, and yeah. I'll explain you know the benefits of the utilizing the electricity much more efficient, and then I will do a nice introduction and. So then you can come in as the fixer. I always, That's what uh, I like to be. Yeah, as a, on the software side as a consultant, I I always like to be the fixer too. The, or the fixer or the finisher, man. You, or both if you can be. But it's like, you know, the problem's already been made. 
you can come and assess the playing field to kind of start organizing things, developing a process, you know, um, laying out some knowledge. That's always good to yeah, providing that service, you know, <laughs> no different than growing and providing a product that somebody enjoys and they come back for more. Or if you make food for a living and you provide a product, they come, you know, when you provide a service for somebody, they appreciate it. You've brought value to the equation. Um, it, sometimes it's as simple as that, you know. And are you working in all states right now? Or is there a regional focus for you? We're everywhere. I actually even have a fellow that I would let represent me who lives in South Africa right now. We can go anywhere. Most of these companies that I deal with are international. They've been in 30 countries around the world. Uh, if they need applications wrote or um, design plans implemented, uh, they, they're already there. I, I certainly am not, but I do have all the relationships with people that are everywhere that we can make something happen anywhere in the world. That's awesome. And um I can see the imagery here, but I'll, I'll ask anyways. And the cornucopia branding, is it, uh, it is the idea to bring that cornucopia of, uh, of skills and knowledge? Yes, sir. That's exactly what, what we brought it to. You know, I want to be that all-in-one, all-encompassing. You know, you maybe not be a complete startup. Startup would be great. If you're starting from scratch, what a wonderful journey that could be <laughs> to go from, you know, designing your grow, whether even... You're the way if you're going to go vertical or you're going to be hydro or soil or outdoor or all the way through packaging and branding dispensary um, all of the above to create that is it would be an awesome journey but also to fix a problem in the middle it could be simple as staffing i need 20 trimmers tomorrow we'll get them for you right yeah. right because sometimes that is the uh it takes people to move the industry and if yeah. uh, if you don't have those either uh, you're going to be spending some long nights trimming <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, to be able to be that one one stop shop that you know I want to be able to solve that problem for you and create that service, create that value, save you some money in the same you know matter, right? And kind of keep uh, keep pushing the cannabis industry forward, right? Yeah, yeah, and psychedelics will be the next one. I know that's part of what you do too. I really believe that that's the next, uh, just like cannabis was twenty something years ago. Uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see how how that's going to roll out. I think. Psychedelia is already taking a different path than cannabis as it's doing its best to stay away from CPGs, from being a consumer packaged good and being a recreational product. They're trying very hard to stay on the pharmaceutical side and yeah. in the therapeutical or, or ther in the therapy kind of uh, niche or, or vertical. So I think um, that's the initial focus, but that was the initial focus for cannabis too. So it's yeah. kind of hard to see how it couldn't evolve to like a wreck mushroom microdosing kind of laws eventually. But, uh, as, as a psychonaut, as someone that's, that's dabbled maybe even too much in psychedelics at times, <laughs> I would kind of worry, I think about just the general public with accessibility to psychedelics, um, because of how altering it can be like a bad high can be like a bad evening for you, but like a bad trip could be like a bad, a long time. <laughs> it, could, it could really linger. It could mess you up and kind of pick up some anchors and drop them in weird places in your mind that you gotta, you gotta, you know, clear the, clear the table again after that. And I mean, I've even, I've heard some horror stories of folks, you know, having to like kind of retire from things for a little while to kind of settle again, um, yeah. for lack of better words, after like a strong acid trip or something. So there's a, there's some concern there for abuse. But I think that you could counter that argument because, I mean, we sell vodka at how many stores across the country and there's a serious 
potential for abuse there if you were to drink the entire bottle daily. So sure. it's like the same argument. <laughs> yeah, I've always, uh, you know, and once again, some, somewhat been controversial and uh, controversial, I should say, in uh, conversation with people. But I am a proponent of all drugs. I honestly don't kind think of that libertarian of perspective. Absolutely right? libertarian perspective. Yes, I you yeah. all drugs were medicines before they were abused by humans. I think everything in this world comes down to human responsibility. I know it's a very tough thing to grasp, and people don't yes. have that a lot of times. And and to place uh, the rest of the public in possible harm's way for someone who doesn't have that self control. Right. I'll, I'll entertain that. Well, we can talk. I'm I'm, I'm very understanding to that point of view. And that's an unfortunate thing with a minority controlling the masses. And that happens yeah. like sociopolitically in all kinds of things. Like, a, But that's a good example, right? If there's a small minority of people that would abuse psychedelics, it would have me worried enough that I would be like kind of backing some kind of structure or tracking that just to help those few people. Yeah. Even though maybe the vast majority of folks could use responsibly or, you know, microdose and feel better. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you never absolutely. come back to the thing. Yeah, you want to, I mean, you're you're trying to do the math there, you know, if you're going to have 100,000 people that are finding relief and only three or four that are not, you know, it's like, where's the benefits lie? And then do you... Yeah, give and take know, kind of thing. Yeah, understandable. But I, I, I like it. I'm for it. You know, I can't wait to see what the industry moves forward with. Yes, sir. Um, are there any conferences on your, uh, on your agenda here towards the end of the year? Absolutely. I will definitely be at MJ BizCon. Uh, a couple of the people, most of the people that I represent will be out there. Uh, a couple of them are having after parties. I'm going to try to make sure that I can make it to uh, some of their facilities that are in Vegas there. Oh, that's uh, awesome, man. So yeah. I will definitely be there. Sweet. Oh, looking forward to meeting you down here and uh, making the rounds. If you get in yeah. here a little early, you can let me know. I will absolutely do that. <laughs> absolutely. And in the meantime, Daniel, it's been awesome talking with you. Where can our listeners find more about you and Cornucopia Management? Well, I don't do social media a whole, whole lot. I am obviously on LinkedIn for work. And, uh, but other than that, hit me up on my website. I'd be happy to talk to somebody. Um, always looking to uh, see how I could help somebody. But my website, Cornucopia Management, um, would be the best way. Hey, excellent, man. Yeah, thanks for jumping on the show, and I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll revisit this again. It sounds like there's plenty for us to talk about. Yeah, I'm sure we can do that, and I appreciate <laughs> everything you've done, man. Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show, along with our services and courses, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis software product management, cannabis education courses, and freelance writing. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.